Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining us on the Law Business Podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, Now, I have lots of questions for you because you've had a fascinating career that covers the subjects of law and technology and diplomacy, interestingly enough. And you're actually based in Switzerland. That's correct, isn't it? That's right. Yes, I live um, in the Alps. I'm moving house next month, but only across the village. And um, so, we're, you know, we're looking out at mountains, high trees, cloud, and there's still a little bit of snow on the upper reaches of the mountains around. So, yes, it's very much driving hairpin bends. And um, um, yes, I'm just a few miles south of Montreux in a, a canton in Switzerland known as the Valais, um, which some people will know. It's uh, further down you get to Zermatt and Saspe and famous places like that. I mean, that sounds idyllic and a lifestyle that many people, I think, would aspire to. Is it something that you envisaged when you started off in technology? Uh, No. Um, I started out as a telecom engineer in Britain, um, building what became parts of the uh, digital telephone network. Um, I was working for a company, well, it was called Plessy's when I first joined, um, part of the Plessy organization, and um, but we were building equipment really to go to British Telecom. Um, I think it was actually the, still the post office when I first joined, but uh, that would be 1983. Um, so yes, I spent a fair bit of time in, in telecom, um, and then I got headhunted to Microsoft to do some telecom stuff for them. Wow. So it sounds as if you've always been involved in developing things that are used um, by many, many people. And perhaps in That's companies, true. yeah, that have a huge share of a market. Obviously, Microsoft has a huge share of, of the personal computing market. And I'm guessing what you're doing in the cloud, developing the cloud, will affect many people's working lives. So could you just very basically explain? Well, I'm... Um, well what I do, I'm um, my job title is a technical diplomat, and it's my job to negotiate international standards in particular, but also some other types of international agreements or um, multi-company collaborative work together where we're trying to find a common way forward um, for a technology. So it's diplomacy in the sense that I'm in a room with a lot of other people, some of whom have very different business objectives to my own company. Um, But you know, we, we're there because we do have some things in common that we're, we're trying to achieve. That's really fascinating. And do you find that the people who you engage more diplomatically with have this sort of technical underpinning to their skill set and knowledge as well? Or are they mainly people who are um, engaged with partnership making and um, those sort of business development things? We get both. We get a very broad um, group of people. Some people are concerned mostly with things like policy, government affairs, um, government relations, and therefore, you know, what new regulation might come down the line. So what can we do to make that easier to deal with or to to head it off and find a better way? Some people will be deep engineers who know intimately how their product works and what they can change to make it do something differently or why they can't. Um, some people are you know, more just concerned with the, the legal aspects. We have intellectual property people who are concerned. You know, some companies will try to inject 
their own patents into the idea so that they can erect a toll booth on it later. Um, others will be um, doing exactly the opposite and advocating for a very open source, um, open model. Um, but everybody's really pursuing their own business objectives, but usually there's some sort of common goal that we're aiming for. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the room. Absolutely. And I understand that you work with legal teams within Microsoft. And what do you think um, makes a successful lawyer within a commercial business like Microsoft? What personal attributes do you Um, think? We're a little unusual, but um, there are are a number of very fundamental differences, I think. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I'm an engineer with a, a master's in law. Um, from the University of Law. But um, so I'm an engineer with some legal training, which is enough to make me dangerous. Um, (laughs) um, I can't give legal advice to anybody. You know, I don't have any attorney client privilege or anything like that. But I do have a a fairly good grasp of of, um, general aspects of law across. And it was an international, you know, I did the international um, legal practice, um, LLM. And that gives a very good background in the way the different legal systems approach things. Um, and I think I'm going off your question, but um, That's fine. within a commercial, within a, within a, a business, a lawyer has, you know, there are different types of things. I mean, a lot of our lawyers are involved in sort of nitty gritty contract work, um, which is true in legal practices anywhere. Um, but then there are some people like uh, one of, there's a, a lady lawyer on my team who um, she sits on the board of the ANSI, which is the American National Standards Institute. And she's an expert in matters of the governance of standards organizations, how they um, develop due process and how they follow it to make sure that everybody is operating within the law and that due process is followed. Um, Everybody gets their fair fair say and that there's no undue influence or, or bias built into the system. So, you know, she's works at a, at a very high level and um, and my uh, my um, vice president that I work for um, used to be a commissioner of the Federal Trade Commission in the United States. So she's given evidence to the Senate. So you've got people who operate at that very high political level um, as lawyers. Uh, and but then there's still a lot of people doing nitty gritty, you know, sign this contract with this company, just agree the text sort of work. Um, there are some differences. One is I don't think most lawyers in a corporation have to do timesheets, <laughs> um, you know, the, or, or chase down billable hours because yes. you're being paid to provide a service to your clients. Um, but the clients are in-house, so you're getting a salary for that, and there might be a bonus plan or whatever. Um, I have one, but it's not tied to um, particular, you know, it's just a, a general thing. Um, so I think that's probably a, a relief for some lawyers that, you know, the idea of chasing billable hours is perhaps not quite what they really wanted to join the profession in. Uh, and I think also there's opportunities for some um, jumping around between topics and um, trying different things. Um, certainly with a company like Microsoft, we have the advantage that we have so many different products that touch on different areas of life. So you'll have some things like, a, you know, a search engine where you've got to consider all the advertising law. Um, and other things you've got, you know, we, we make the Xbox game console. So you've got children playing that. So you've got all the child safety things. You've got all of the um, um, 
you know, the copyright protection and um, patents in special inventions uh, and a great deal of that sort of material as well. And so I think within the, the Microsoft legal department, there are so many areas. And I mentioned government affairs, there's uh, competition affairs, um, dealing with you know, antitrust and, and um, competition law, um, but so many other things as well. So obviously Microsoft attracts a lot of talent um, early on in their careers. I know it's not perhaps your area, but could you give any of our listeners perhaps some tips that would make them really employable to a company that's, that innovates like Microsoft? Um, well, Microsoft is a multinational. So in that sense, we have subsidiaries in many different countries around the world. So there are certainly advantages in knowing um, about other legal systems as well as um, your home one. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, for, for Microsoft, it, it's as what most of the legal department think in terms of American law. So you sometimes need to be able to um, provide advice, but no, actually it's not done like that in yeah. Europe. You know, and I've had to remind some people, for example, um, you know, corporate counsel in America have cl attorney-client privilege with their um, in, with their own company, uh, but you don't have that in Europe. It's only outside counsel who have that. So um, people, we have to remind people, you know, you can't mark this one as an attorney-client privilege because you're not an outside counsel. You're an internal lawyer, so you don't get that. Um, so there are sort of things like that. And then um, when they're dealing with uh, the civil law on the continent, then, of course, that's a, a rather different way of going about things as well. So, um, And for those who aren't perhaps... I, I think a breadth of knowledge is going to be helpful. Yeah. Um, enthusiasm is certainly obviously important. I wouldn't worry too much about knowing the, the details of the technology, though obviously it doesn't hurt, um, but knowing how the law and you know, recent cases that have affected the company or, the, or that part of the industry or uh, regulations um, is going to count for quite a lot. I mean, for example, we've got the new free flow of non-personal data uh, regulation um, in the EU, which is sort of a it's you could say it's like the GDPR for all the other data that's not right. personal. Okay. Um, but there's rights to to move it around between you know to to get your data back from a cloud service provider and put it to somebody else and and things like that. So that's the sort of thing that you get a lot of um, discussion around at the moment. Um, that's fascinating. And I'm just thinking about your time at ULaw, and obviously you were working in technology at the time mm -hmm. when you did your LLM. Did you consider other routes in yes. terms of law? And what did you consider? In terms of law, um, well, I was coming in as an, ex as a, I was 49 years old. So this, I was um, not, not typical. Um, and I had to make a case that they could put me onto an LLM when I hadn't done any undergraduate. Um, mm. But I had done a fair bit of work um, in the legal department, I've got, you know, like 10 or 12 patents to my name, though they're all expired now. Um, so I'd, I'd had various contact with um, legal aspects and I was working in, uh, in television and television content protection, which has a lot of uh, legal aspects to it. So um, I, was, I knew I wanted to get back on a steep learning curve. I think in any job you can you have the risk of getting into a bit of a rut. 
And even if you are still learning new things, um, you, you're not on that sort of same steep path as sure. you are when you're at university or in the early years of your job. And as you get, you know, a few more gray hairs, um, then there's always the worry that, you know, your employer will start to think that you've uh, pigged. Um, so it doesn't hurt to um, remind them that actually you, you really do want to learn more and to, uh, to challenge yourself. And that's certainly something Microsoft as a company encourages. And I know many of the other big companies as well, that they're looking for continued personal development, not just in the, in the lawyer sense of CPD, but um, in the engineering sense and, and in broadening your knowledge as well. I mean, I guess for, for most engineers at that stage of their career, they're looking, if they want to do something like that, a lot of them will look towards an MBA rather than law, or some of them might go for an accountancy degree or something like that. But um, I've, you know, led teams before and I wasn't madly thrilled at it. I certainly didn't want to mess with budgets. So um, I wanted to do something where I felt that what I learned would be directly applicable, but also um, move me out of that one zone into a into a broader area. And really, there are very few people who are qualified as both an engineer, because um, I'm a chartered engineer with the IET. Um, but qualified as an engineer and have a real legal qualification as well. And um, frankly, it's it's worth something. It really is um, to have you know a lawyer who can understand who can understand the engineering aspects or vice versa, um, and to be able to communicate and bridge across that gap between those two communities who often uh, find it rather hard to understand one another's language. That's really interesting. So as an individual, you've sort of found your niche gap in the market, so to speak. And, um, you know, you're obviously um, very valuable to the company. I'm wondering if there's anything that particularly inspired you when you did your LLM. Any module that was particularly... Uh, Well, I started out doing the intellectual... I started out on the intellectual property module because I I already knew a fair bit about that um, by by nowhere near everything that was covered in that module. But it, it sort of gave me a soft landing into another phase of education. Um, Now, this was back in 2010, I think, um, and it it was all distance learning and it was all um, remote recorded um, videos to watch. And um, we still had a few few books, but most of it was online. Um, And then um, assessments and and submissions to make to a a tutor. But um, it meant that it fit completely into uh, my rather random schedule because in in normal times I would quite often be flying off somewhere for a week um, to attend a standards meeting um, and then you know flying back to to Microsoft headquarters in in the west coast of America um, do that sort of three times a year and occasional you know jobs in other places so um, a lot quite a lot of norm travel normally. And when not traveling, then um, virtual conferences like uh, like we're doing now, um, has that's been pretty normal for me for um, since I first moved to Switzerland. In fact, even before that, um, and I, I moved here in 2003. And um, so, you know, that sort of distance learning, working from home nearly all the time, is my uh, way. And uh, the LLM remotely worked very well with that because I didn't have to 
I think there's only once or twice I had to ask to postpone an assessment. Um, and that, you know, with a bit of notice, that was always acceptable. Um, but it, it, because there was this steady rhythm of work that had to be done, and you knew that you'd have like two weeks to do the next assessment or whatever, you know, you had to fit it into the schedule somewhere, but it wasn't rigid. And I could do hmm. the, the videos when I needed to and the other exercises and then um, work on the assessment um, um, with the tutor. So um, it fit pretty well because my I can't claim my days are full. Um, I can't claim they're all long. I mean, some of my, like Monday morning for me is like a wasteland. There's not very much <laughs> happening. Um, and, but I can go out and because of the way my work operates, I can go out and go to the shops or, or something like that on a, during what would be somebody else's working day. You know, I'm not nine to five at all, but then on other occasions, I'll have, um, meetings going through the evening up until sometimes like 1am and then have to get up and chair a meeting at 7am the next morning. Um, so I, I was, um, a little shock to see it. I got a report from our um, internal system that said, well, we noticed you did eight hours of work outside your core hours <laughs> this week. And I thought, oh, crikey, yes. So I showed that to my boss. He says, well, that's just how it is. But um, so Microsoft's approach is that you're employed to do the job. You're not employed to sit at a desk from nine till five. Yes, that's very uh, And if you deliver it? all of if you deliver all of your work in two hours on you know, the beginning of Monday morning, that's fine because you're being paid to do the work, not to um, to spend time sitting there. Um, yeah, people so, have mentioned um, um, just, this yeah, culture of presenteeism that can sometimes occur whereby, you know, you're bound to a desk in a certain space from nine to five and it's being broken down more um within the legal profession as people work remotely as well so that's very interesting do you think it's a healthy way of working yes i think it depends very much on the person um i'm i wouldn't call myself an introvert but i'm not you know i'm not thrilled at sitting in an office with a lot of people all around me um especially since you know for example, you know, I, I work for the, the, the global corporation. So my boss is in Dubai and his boss is in um, in Oregon and his boss is in, in Redmond in, in Washington State. Um, so when I'm actually, if I do go to the office in Geneva, you know, there's nobody else around that really knows what I do. Never mind, you know, working with them. Uh, occasionally, you know, something might come up. But um, so, so it's not like I've got a social group in a physical space anytime um but when we get when we do get back to regular meetings you know there are people from other companies that i know extremely well um you know some of them have been to dinner at you know one of my previous houses we had used to have dinner parties of the, the committee gathered you know people from other companies as well as microsoft people um and that could be really uh nice so there's there is social contact in that job but it's um tends to be sort of with your opposite numbers rather than with um, people in your own company. That's really which is, interesting. Which is interesting so, in itself. Yeah. But we and have to, you know, and sometimes one of the things I've learned is that, you know, you might have quite a heated discussion with somebody. Uh, you know, I have seen shoes banged on tables and people storming out, swearing in French. Wow. It does happen once in a while. Wow. But usually I found, you know, if you can have that 
you know, forthright exchange of views in the meeting and then go and have a drink together afterwards, then you're doing it right. That is um, success, isn't because it? it's not yeah. about the person. It's not about the individuals. If you're you keep keep the argument is professional on the topic and you never make it personal. And I've always tried very hard to to stay on good terms, even with the people that I'm fundamentally opposed to. That's interesting. Um, I just interviewed the head of our business school and he very much encourages um, negotiation and persuasion as tools that students have when they leave the business school, but also sort of recalibrating the opinions of many people to assimilate and then come up with the best response that includes everybody to achieve the common goal. So, um, yes. Yes, that's important. And um, one of the things that we value is diversity in that sense. So within our team, we've because of our geographical split, we've got people from a lot of different nationalities. Um, but within the company, we have people which are, who are differently able as well. Uh, Microsoft has a program of actively recruiting people with um, on the autism spectrum, for example. That's um, we have people who are blind and deaf, and uh, our chief accessibility de- um, our chief accessibility officer um, is a very smart lady, but she's profoundly deaf. Um, so she usually has a signer, or she can lip read a lot. Um, but she's very much welcome at the, the top level of the company. And if we try to get a good gender balance as well, though that's not always uh, too easy. But um, in the legal department, I think we're very strong on that. And having those people with different experiences from different backgrounds, different um, needs, helps everybody to um, keep a broader focus. I've been fortunate. One of the projects I've worked on in in Etsy is the European standard for um, accessibility in ICT. So um, that's something I care quite deeply about. And uh, fortunately, I'm very much supported by my employer in that. And it's it's great that you must have seen company culture, diversity culture and other cultures develop in Microsoft throughout the years as you've been there many years. Have you seen much development in the past 10 years? Um. I have, though perhaps not as much as you might expect, because when I first arrived there, I was astonished at how welcoming uh, in diversity it was. Because even back in 1995, we had same-sex couples, and if they adopted a child, they would have all the same benefits as um, a a regular couple having their own baby. Um, It was always, that that was always the company way. Um, And, uh, you know, we've got, Senior people of every color skin that you can imagine. Um, so I, I think we actually started. I started in the company, and it was already in a very good place, and it was already not much liked by some of the uh, um, the more, um, shall we say, less progressive parts of society because we were quite progressive. Um, so I've been very glad to be part of that. Um, that sounds fantastic. Yes, we still we still work at it. Um, there are, uh, for example, in America, they have a program to, in, we try to get outside counsel from um, law firms who are led by minorities, uh, whether that's uh, you know, female-led or, or um, African-American or, or whatever. So, we're, we're, so Microsoft uses its buying power to try to promote diversity as well as um, just what it does internally. And, and that can be extremely effective. 
I'm sure that will be very inspiring to many of the students, especially who are listening. And we're very lucky at ULaw to have students from a whole breadth of different backgrounds, low-income backgrounds, um, people with disability, you know, learning disabilities, physical disabilities, and from all manner of different backgrounds. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they'll f- feel very inspired by the prospect of applying to similar companies. And I'm just wondering if... Um, you have any career goals that you'd like to share with them, some things that you haven't done yet that you would like to do? Well, I'll be 60 in a couple of months. So at this point, my my goals are mostly to, to stay where I am. Um, the, um, that's, a, that's a difficult one. I mean, it, it becomes to, um, you know, at my stage, it's sort of like, when are you going to retire? Uh, and that, uh, but for me, I think I'm probably not going to retire anytime soon. Um, you know, I know that we talk about judges going on into their 80s and things, but that, that's not restricted to them. Um, I think if we're if we're in a, a role where um, experience counts and um, a certain amount of gravitas perhaps counts, um, then you know. Why stop if you're still enjoying what you're doing? We had one one of my colleagues um, who was in the same role. He was the National Standards Officer for the United States for Microsoft. And um, he he was over 70 when he joined the company. Wow. Um, and he was with us for, for I mean, I, I went on trips with him to China. Um, and um, marvelous chap. I'm still in touch with his widow because you know, sadly he passed on. Uh, and left a great hole for us. But, you know, the idea that you're sort of done and dusted at 60 or even 65 is just not necessarily true. Sure. Um, And it fits in with that idea of um, retraining or perhaps, you know, furthering your professional development through doing something like an LLM. Um, So there isn't an expiry date on education or your job role. Absolutely not. No, there's no real. I mean, my, my wife has just been talking about, or oh, maybe she's, she'll do a PhD. I mean, and she's not wife. as old as I am, but, yeah. uh, um, you know, she's saying, well, once I've got, you know, the daughter out of the way and a bit of uh, free time, um, that's a time to, to start, you know, do some real research PhD stuff, not, not just, um, you know, there, there is no end to education. And um, certainly I found that, you know, University of Law was very good for me in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, obviously some people maybe just won't quite make it. My wife wanted to be a barrister, but in the end, it, it didn't work out for her. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's lost. It still can be something that's used, um, you know, because you haven't what you've learned hasn't been lost. Sure. Um, and there are probably still other opportunities where that experience and that knowledge is still going to be very valuable. So I would say, you know, even if things get rough with, you know, you don't pass the exams that you want. Don't give up hope because there are other doors opening. That's a really positive note. And I'm wondering if you think law teaches you to think in a certain way. Yes, I think that's true. Um, I certainly you need, you use language in a slightly different way. Um, engineers do the same thing, by the way, but not in quite the same way. When we talk about precision in engineering, it's not quite the same as precision in in English in law. Um, but 
in both cases, you are always trying to look for, you know, the exception, the thing that hasn't been thought of, the thing that needs to be dealt with, whether you're trying to hunt down a bug in software code or, or whether you're trying to make sure that there isn't a loophole that somebody can um, slide out of um, what they're supposed to do in a contract. You know, those you, you both need um, that broad perspective and an ability to uh, take in the big picture, but also to, to see what might or might not fit within it. Um, and yeah. we also, perhaps perhaps more with the engineers, you know, you're always on a, a learning curve because the world is changing around you. And I know that's certainly true in, in some aspects of law. Some of it hardly changes at all, but some things like family law, I know change regularly. So, um, maintaining that currency maintaining that broad perspective and you know reading a lot listening a lot uh, and learning a lot um, as you go forward that's amazing and a really good note to sort of wrap up on i do have another quite cheeky question about microsoft but um just sure. to reflect a bit on that it sounds as if you can be a lateral thinker as well as a really logical thinker in law and in technology which is great because it will attract you know, many different people. So, yeah, it's great to pass that, that on. To be honest, it's the, later, the lateral thinking is where the big successes are um, right. in both law and in engineering. It's the guy who comes up with a wholly new way to do something or a new product, whether that's a, you know an iPad or something like that in engineering, or whether someone comes up with um, you know, like a, poison pill protection against takeovers in law you know it's that sort of rocket science inspiration of doing something different to the way it's been done before um to achieve something for for your business for your client um yes being able to be creative and uh um and think outside of the way it's been i don't i don't really like the term outside the box but think you know, think of the problem as a whole rather than just the little bit that seems to be the problem at first sight. Yes, and perhaps employing different modes of thinking like um, law and, and technology modes of thinking to achieve that sort of Einstein moment. Um, fantastic. Um, my cheeky question about Microsoft is I'm sure lots of people would love to know if you've met any of the founders Bill Gates or, or Melinda? Um, or I, I, missed, I missed my chance to meet Bill Gates because um, when I joined, it was still a tradition that uh, new employees would be invited to his home to, uh, to say hello. Um, but unfortunately, somebody scheduled a business trip on that time for me and I missed it. You only get one crack. Um, I, you know, I've shared an elevator and had a conversation with Steve Ballmer, um, who took over from Bill as chief executive. Um, and I've, you know, I've met a few people that would perhaps be more famous in the technology community, um, but it's it's not that it's it's not really a celebrity company in the same way that some places like Apple are. Um, but you know, I remember it being told, you know, if you see somebody driving into the car park that's driving a Lamborghini, um, it's because he really wanted one. But it's not because he's trying to be a status symbol because the building was absolutely full of millionaires. <laughs> so right. you couldn't impress anybody that way. Right. And I know, you know, I knew multimillionaires who would, um, you know, drive to work in a pickup truck and they would turn up to a meeting if you told them there was free food on offer. Um, it, it's, it's your definition it's just, of success. It's just people. They're really yeah. just people. 
Yeah. Um, people who have the freedom to make certain choices, which is great. And of course, um, what perhaps qualification in law um, and experience in technology will, will give you. Um, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our ULaw community? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I would say, yes, always look that little bit further afield. Um, you know, if you're looking at a subject, look a bit beyond it and see what, what are the things that affect that subject, um, whether that's history or um, related areas. Um, so, you know, don't get blinkered and put a subject in a, in a box that, uh, you know, in, in silos and think that this has nothing to do with that. Because, you know, if 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 you don't think there's a a link between something like intellectual property and something like um, um, competition, you've missed it because absolutely there are links there. Um, so always look at a subject and look at, read a little bit further around it and see how it fits into the bigger picture. Always look for the big picture. Brilliant. And I think that thought will um, set up our students for success. So thank you very much, Mark. And we hope to hear much more from you in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tamsin.